before James comes up, um, I'm Adrian Howell. Um, my husband Ryan and I lead a small group. We're not really sure when we're going to meet, but um, and families are invited. Our families are always there. So, um, and I have um, a word for you today. It's from John 17, verse 20 through 24. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Good morning. Thank you, Adrian. I'm excited to get started this morning and to jump into a new series. And I was asked in this new season what I wanted to be, uh, teach on for a series. And the first thing that came to mind, honestly, after prayer was I want to talk about Jesus, specifically his incarnation. Um, and, and, and that's a topic, that, the same topic that, uh, that actually about 1700 years, ago, uh, 1700 years ago that caused Santa Claus to smack a guy at the Nicene Council, right? The same one that this past summer when we were looking at 1 John, that the Apostle John was so excited about the incarnation, the humanity of Christ, that he came fully human and fully man. So this topic is going to be, who is this man called Jesus? That's what we're we'll talking about for this fall. And it's kind of a big deal that Jesus came fully human. He didn't just come as an adult fully formed. He could have done that, right? God made Adam out of the dirt. He could have been fully formed. But he came as a baby, and he grew, and he had to learn to walk, and learn to read, and learn to love, and and learn to engage with the world in all those ways as a fully human has to. And he showed us the kind of life that God intended for all of humanity. God gave his life for humanity, dying a horrific death, and then being risen from the dead, and he went back to be with the Father again not leaving behind his humanity, not leaving his his body here on earth, but taking humanity with him back into the very triune fellowship of God in heaven for all time unto this day. And it's been one of the more attacked aspects of Christianity over the years. And it's something that has so many implications. There are many that don't want to accept that Jesus truly was fully God and fully human. In fact, this is the whole reason that we have the Nicene Creed today. This, we're going to look at that in a second. This famous document, or the creed that was given to, in the 300s, 1,700 years ago, was over this exact division. There was this guy back in the 300s named Arius. He was a, a famous deacon at the time, and, and he had divided the Christian church based upon the idea that Arius, or what's called Arianism, was saying that Jesus wasn't actually fully God. He was just created by God. He, he was just a creation, wasn't fully divine. Meaning that Jesus was not, full, was not fully God entering into humanity. And this divided the Christian empire to the point that the emperor of Rome called together all the bishops of the entire empire in 325 at what was called the Nicene Council. And Constantine brought them together to decide this issue that was dividing the church. 
And at that point, Arianism was, was given its play and was shared. And then on the other side was this guy named Athanasius of Alexandria. And he was the one primarily arguing the other side along with other bishops. And during that, that, that time, uh, there was a massive division that was going on. And someone who you may, there's a story that says someone you may have heard his name before named St. Nicholas, as we know him, Santa Claus. At that time, St. Nicholas, the story is said, was there as one of the bishops, and he heard Arius speaking this thing, saying, Jesus is not fully God, and he walks over to him, and he smacked him upside the head, and everyone decreed, which was a heresy to do at that point. And there's a beautiful picture of an old mosaic. I don't know why his arm is so short, but um, <laughs> old art, right? And, and so Santa Claus smacks Arius across the face, denounces it as heresy, and all the bishops agree, and they come together and form what's called the Nicene Creed, which focuses primarily on this very issue, the humanity and the divinity of Christ. The Nicene Creed is, the mo- outside of the Bible, is, is the most historic, foundational document of Christian theology throughout the ages, repeated billions of times over the last 1,700 years. And so I want to go through this the first part of it. It begins like this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Anyone notice the repetition there of why that is repeated so much? Trying to emphasize again and again, he is fully God. In case you didn't get it, he's true God from true God, light from light. And it goes on in the next to say of the same essence of one substance is the father. I mean, he can't, they they just keep saying it again and again. Jesus is fully divine. If you don't get it is what they're screaming. And then they emphasize the incarnation. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and Virgin Mary and was made human. So there's no room for debate. They've settled it back then. All the top leaders, the beginning of early church history, and they settled this. Yet it continues to be debated. And that's just the first half of it. This has become the cornerstone of church doctrine since then. That Jesus fully entered into humanity and is still human to this day. The implications are beyond massive, and I'm going to be hammering them until my dying breath because this matters. I love, there's a great book that Dr. Baxter Kruger wrote called The Great Dance. It's only like 90-something pages, and you really only need to read the first 50. I can't recommend it enough. I'm going to quote it a couple times today. And here, uh, in that book, he describes this idea that if Jesus wasn't fully divine and fully God as it says, true God from true God. If that wasn't true, then Jesus can't give us the divine life that God has, right? Because if he's not truly God, then him coming to earth can't give us the life of God. So he has to be truly God. But then again, if Jesus is divine, but not fully human, that means that, that, that he, he's up there in the sky. He's a distant God. He can't actually give us the, the, the life from God because he can't reach down to us if he's not fully human. So he must be fully God and fully human. Otherwise, he's like a blimp in the sky. He's, he's up there and, and we're down here. He, he's close. Maybe he's visible, but ultimately he's above us and out of our reach. And, and we can't be in Christ the way the New Testament proclaims if he is not also fully human. And so this is where scripture is abundantly clear. Jesus becomes what we are, fully human, so we can join him in the life that he created us for, the life that he shares with his Father, the Spirit, and all of us. Or as Athanasius of Alexandria shared around the time of the Nicene Council, this was the guy debating Arius that that Santa Claus agreed with, right? He says this back in the 200s and 300s, he said, 
For that was the very purpose and end of our Lord's incarnation, that he should join what is man by nature to him who is by nature God. Right? So he's saying that God sent, came and joined Jesus to us, what is man by nature, humanity, so that we can be joined to God, back into fellowship with him, so that man might enjoy his salvation and his union with God, that we would have union with God because of Christ's coming and uniting us to the Father without any fear of its failing or decrease. Or Athanasius, or, sorry, or... Um, Another guy that I love, another old dead guy that is awesome from the early church. Great people to read. The older they are, the, 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 the awesome, more awesome it is to hear the words from the early church. And one of the earliest guys is Arrhenius. Now, Arrhenius was the disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of a guy you probably know named John the Apostle, right? So this goes back to the 200s, and here's what Arrhenius said around that time. He said, O Lord Jesus Christ, who did through his transcendent love become what we are, became fully human, that he might bring us to be even what he is in himself. That Jesus became fully human so that he could come and become what we are so he could take humanity and bring us back into the triune fellowship of who God is, right? That that is why Jesus came and he had to come. That, that Jesus is fully God and fully man and he enters into humanity to unite us back into that fellowship. So this fall... and. and for the next few decades, as long as I'm here, we're, we're going to be looking at this reality of Jesus, be fully human and fully man, and what it means for us to, to not just walk with him, but to see our lives conform more and more, that we can live and love as this man, God, Jesus Christ lives, that we can be in Christ. And this fall, each week going forward for this fall series, we're going to look at a different aspect of Jesus' humanity and ways that he lived when he was here on earth whether that's looking at uh, the way he loved, looking at the way he cared for the poor, the way he had compassion, the way he suffered, the way he tempted. Each week, we're going to be looking at different aspects of his humanity this fall. And, and specifically, what does it mean for us then to look at his life and for us to begin to live and love far more and more like Jesus? But before we get there, that's just the preview of the fall of series. Before we get there today, what I want to talk about is where Jesus came from. And by that, I don't mean Nazareth or I don't mean Bethlehem. I mean, where was he before the beginning? Where, what was Jesus like when he came, where he came from? Before Genesis 1-1, right? Genesis 1-1 tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's awesome. But what about before in the beginning, right? Because Jesus is before that. He pre-exists creation. And for that, we go to John chapter 1. Uh, the apostle John tells us that in the beginning, he quotes Genesis, in the beginning was the word, he says. And the Word was with God. That's Jesus he's describing as the Word. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So here John tells us that before Genesis 1-1, before in the beginning, Jesus, the Son, is with the Father, right? And we know this is before Genesis 1-1 because in verse 3 there, he says, Jesus is the one that created everything. Nothing was created before him, without him. He is the creator of it all. So Jesus exists before all time with the Father. And, and we know this as the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing for all eternity. And, and we want to be able to get to know them. And so 
I want to spend about the next 10 minutes just breaking out a little bit of theology on the Trinity. I, I don't think it's going to be boring to me. This is absolutely exciting. But, but stay with me because I want to lay a foundation. I don't want to make any assumptions of what we know about who God is or anything else. I want to treat us all as though this is fresh for us in case there's any that don't know. And maybe a reminder for those that already do. But the Trinity is often described as being three in one. That God is triune. He is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But one God in three distinct persons. And we're never going to be able to fully understand how God can be three in one. Three distinct persons in one. It's impossible for our minds to fully get that. I mean, and praise God, we serve a God who can't fit inside of our heads, right? If we did, it could be an idol. And endless attempts have been made over time to try to make sense of the triune God and, and try to make doctrines out of him and, and make sense of it and be able to put it on paper. And they honestly have all failed. I mean, whether they give examples, they'll say, well, well, he's kind of like water, right? Water can be three in one. You can freeze it and it becomes a solid. It's a liquid on its own, or you can heat it up and it becomes a gas. See, people would say three in one, just like God. Well, wrong. Those are all three forms that can't be the same, but all the one at the same time, right? They're just different things. That's a, a terrible example of who God is. Others would say, well, it's kind of like an egg. You have an eggshell, you, you have a yolk, and you have an egg white. Those are three things, all one, right? Again, terrible example. Doesn't even begin to describe God because none of those on their own are God, right? The egg, the, the yolk is not God. The white is not God. None of those things can begin to describe the infinite value and beauty of who God is. The best example I've seen is this one up here, but it's also terrible, to be honest. In this one, you see, it says the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. That's all true. And then it brings this other element, but the Son is not the Father, they're distinct. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. So you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense logically, but it's as clear as mud. What, what, what does that even mean that these things are true, right? We, we don't make sense of that, but yet... For so much of church history, this is considered the doctrine of the Trinity, and we're told to believe it. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in the church, I was told, this is doctrine, you have to believe it if you're a real Christian, and so believe it. Three in one. Why do I have to believe it? Well, because you have to believe it. Why? Because it's doctrine. If you don't believe it, you're not a real Christian, so believe it. I mean, it was just kind of forced. I never understood why it matters. Even for years in missions work around the world, teaching the Bible as a Bible teacher, I didn't know why this mattered other than the fact it's who God is. But I want to tell you it does matter. And in fact, it matters more than almost anything else in Scripture because you see the reality of a triune God is not just a stale doctrine that we're forced to believe or else we're not Christians. But the Trinity is the very essence of who God is. That God is one, but he exists in three distinct persons who are actively engaging one another, loving one another, affirming one another. The, the Trinity shows us that before God creates, before the existence of time, God existed in perfect, loving, other-centered, life-giving fellowship and love among himself with one another, with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is the essence of who God is before time. To be God is to be a loving God in fellowship, in relationship. The very identity and essence of who God is is that he is a loving being in fellowship and relationship in perfect harmony. That is what it means to be God as we see in Scripture. At the core level, that is who God is. And ultimately, un un ways that we cannot possibly describe, indescribably loving God who is in three persons, loving, him, loving within himself so well. Remember 1 John from this past summer, if you were here. I was preaching in chapter 4, and we looked at, at verse 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And here it is. Whoever does not know, does not know God, or sorry, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Right? That is the very definition of God. And love cannot be expressed just inwardly to oneself. The love means it is, requires an other orientation of its expression. And we see that in John 17, the passage that Adrian read out this morning. He says in verse 24, Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. Then they can all see the glory that you gave me. Because you, love, this is Jesus speaking to the Father, because you loved me even before the creation of the world. So before creation existed, the Father is loving the Son. And we can see so many other scriptures that talk about this. Well before Genesis 1 and 1, there is this incredible fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And God is the definition of love that existed before creation, well into eternity past, in a loving relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Lacking nothing, not needing anything at all, because it was so fulfilled in what He had in Himself. For example, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, at Jesus' baptism, we have this passage where, where God speaks out from heaven and he says, This is my beloved son, the lo- son whom I love, who, with whom I am well pleased. So the father speaking over the son saying, He brings me so much pleasure. They, there is, they give pleasure. They have delight in one another. Or another one, John chapter 12, verse 44, Jesus says, where it says Jesus doesn't say, he shouted, sorry, those that don't like me shouting, I'm not trying to shout, but I'm just trying to follow the line of Jesus, right? He shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you're seeing the one who sent me. So, so Jesus says, if you want to know what God the Father is like, just look at me. When you see me, you see the Father. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 49, he says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. So Jesus here acknowledges that he listens and obeys. So he says they are one. If you see the Father, you see him, but yet they're distinct because he listens and obeys and chooses to follow the ways of the Father. So to see the Son is to see the Father, but they are distinct. And again, so many other places you can find this in Scripture to be able to see that that the loving fellowship that existed, that pre-existed time in the way that they cared for love showed delight and fellowship with one another. You know, there's many times, the Christians, that we we grow up with a very distorted understanding of God, a very twisted understanding of God. And and many see Jesus sometimes as someone that, that, that is the one that they can relate to in the Godhead. Right, That Jesus is the huggable friend that I could connect to, but God is that distant blimp in the sky at best. At worst, an angry God waiting to smite them for their sin that is never can be appeased, never can be made happy no matter what they do. And so many people choose to pray to Jesus primarily and relate to him because God the Father is scary or just distant. I can't help but remind you, there's a, a movie uh, about Ricky Bobby in the movie Talladega Nights, and he has this great line where he talks about not being, able to relate to Je- not being able to relate to the Father, and he says, the one I relate most to isn't just Jesus, but little tiny baby Jesus, and he prays out, oh, Lord, tiny baby Jesus, infant baby Jesus, he says, in your little golden fleece diapers with your tiny little balled up fists, right? Because it's a joke, but he's saying that, that, he can, that he can relate to that, and, and we can laugh at that, but we as Christians really aren't much better oftentimes. Maybe we don't prefer the little baby infant 8.6 pounds he says in the film, but we have our own idea of what's relatable because God the Father isn't someone we often feel we can approach. 
There's this saying out there that I've heard countless times that says, Jesus saves us from the wrath, or Jesus is the umbrella, the umbrella that saves us from God's wrath showering down upon us. And I want to tell you, I hate that analogy. I hate it. I despise it. I think it is not, I can understand where theologically they're coming from, but it's a terrible analogy that causes Christians to believe that God is this distant, scary God wanting to destroy us, and the only reason that He in any way shows mercy is because He loves His Son so much, and that because of Jesus, He will therefore look past our sins and save us. But what it means is Jesus then becomes the relate to, and God is the angry, distant Father. That is not who God is. God is love. That is who He is. And He is the one who created us out of His love that we could share in that with Him. A couple quotes I want to give from some respected theologians. First one is D.A. Carson. He's the the co-founder of the Gospel Coalition. He puts it this way. What we have then, he says, is a picture of God whose love, even in eternity past, before creation of anything, is other-oriented. That is who God is from the beginning of time. Or another one, Dr. Baxter Kruger, in that book, Great Dance, he says, it is all about fellowship. And fellowship means that God is not a lonely, sad, and depressed being. As Father, Son, and Spirit living in fellowship, God is essentially and eternally very happy. Is that your God? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit live in conversation and a fellowship of free-flowing togetherness and sharing and delight. A great dance of shared life that is full and rich and passionate and creative and good and beautiful. Oh, does anyone know this God? Does anyone else think that maybe you somehow missed that day in Sunday school where they introduced this God and we jumped straight to the angry, distant God who's not pleasure, that doesn't have pleasure in us, right? Sometimes we miss out on this reality. This is the reality before creation, that this is who God is. Perfectly loving, full of life and joy. And why does this matter? Because it's this God who creates mankind. This is the God that pours himself into creation. This is where Jesus comes from. This is the God so insanely loving and generous and kind and filled with love and light and peace and overwhelming joy. At some point in eternity past, he has a conversation that's recorded for us in Scripture. And the Father turns to the, the, the Son and the Spirit and he says, Hey guys, in Genesis 1.26, here's what he says. Hey guys, let us make human beings in our image. Let us create them to be like us in our image. And this is where the story gets so crazy. And this is where I'm going to have to be careful because the more excited, the faster I talk and the louder I get. And so I apologize in advance. I'm going to try. Okay? So, but this is where it gets awesome. Everything I shared the last 20 minutes, that, that whole piece was just the setup for this. God has created us to be like Him in His image, to join into the fellowship that they have among themselves from the beginning of time. That is why He created us to bring us into that place. Not just because he wanted a bunch of robots to obey and sing songs to him and live in subservience to his will as some dictator, dictatorial general, but because at his very essence he is love and he created us out of the overflow of that love to pour into humanity. Not just to be subjects, but to be in fellowship with the creator of the universe and all of his creation. Again, a couple more quotes because this is just so good. I want to say it's not just me that's excited about this stuff, right? Hopefully we all are, but Dr. Tim Keller has a great passage on this in his book, Reason for God. And he says, 
So a triune God created us. That was in John 1 we saw that. But he would not have created us to get the joy of mutual love and service because he already had that. Someone say that God created us just so that we could worship him, right? But he didn't need that. He didn't need us to do that because he already had love and service in the Trinity. That was not his purpose in creation. Rather, he created us to share his love and in, share in his love and service. As we know from John 17, 20 to 24, that was that opening passage. We're going to come back to it again. The persons of the Trinity love and serve one another. They are other-oriented, and thus God created us to live in the same way in order to share the joy and the love that God knew within himself. That is why we're created, to share in that life. He created a good world that he cares for, a world full of human beings who were called to worship, know, and serve him and not themselves. Or another quote from another great old dead guy, Jonathan Edwards. He said back in the 1700s, this was the, the leader of the great awakening of the 1700s. He says it this way. The ultimate reason that God creates, said Edwards, is not to remedy some lack in God. It's not that God needed us or there was something missing from God, but to extend that perfect internal communication of the triune God's goodness and love, to take all the goodness of God and extend that to us. That's why he created us, to extend God's joy and happiness and delight in divine perfections is expressed when he creates us and pours that into us. That's amazing. One more. I had to cut these down. I'm sorry. But uh, I kicked a bunch out because they're just so good. There's so much beauty out there. And this is my favorite one by Baxter Kruger. Now, why does this God, this Father, this Son and Spirit create the universe, he says? Why does the Father, Son, and Spirit create human beings, you, me, or children? Why does this Father, Son, and Spirit create the animals and birds and fish and flowers and the millions of beautiful things all around us? Why does this God create work and play and relationships, romance and sex and sports and laughter and food? What is the rhyme and reason behind all of these things? When you start with the Trinity... It is the most obvious thing in the world. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit create to share what they have with us. The goal of the Trinity is inclusion. The purpose of the Father, Son, and Spirit in creation is to draw us within the circle of their shared life so that we too can experience it with them. Come on. God is good. God's greatest longing before all creation was to take the incredible life that he had within the Trinity and extend it to all of creation and humanity. Not just to me or you individually, but to all of his children. And his greatest longing in creation and all in creating is that all of us would come to know, experience, and live out that reality with him. We are his children and he wants to be with us. My favorite passage anywhere in Scripture was that opening word that Adrian read this morning. And that's, I, I want to come back there because our, our, that passage to me is one of the most key passages anywhere in Scripture. Also because it's very unique. It's the final thing that Jesus prays before he goes into the garden. It's also the only place in Scripture where you can find Jesus talking directly to us today as it's addressed directly to us. And so we have to look at it again and we can't overstate its significance. John 17, verse 20 says, I am praying not only for these disciples who are among him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. 
21, he says, I pray that they will all be one. That's us, that we would walk in unity. He says, just as you and I are one, Father, speaking to the Father, as you are in me, he says to the Father, and I am in you, may they together be in us, united to us. Like like Athanasius said, Jesus came to be what we are, to take us to be what he is. May they be in us. And so that the world may believe that you sent me for the purpose of the world seeing his reality. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they, again, us, that we may be one. Just as he says, as you and I, Father, are one. 23, he says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent them or that you sent me and that you love them just as much as you love me. To me, this is the most profound part of Scripture. If you want a great quiet time, spend the next week, take 15 minutes or 10 minutes, five minutes, and just read through this passage multiple times and just meditate on it and pray and unpack it with the Lord. It is incredible. And Jesus' longing at the end of his life, the greatest longing of his heart, what is it? For us to be one and walk and love one another, but just as much for us to be in the Father, that we could enjoy communion and relationship and the love of the Father, the Son, the Spirit in the same way that Jesus does. He wants us, not me, us, to live out that reality. This is what he created us for. Everything he ever asks of us, anything of obedience and discipleship, any sacrifice that we're ever called to live out, any sin that we're ever asked to lay down is all for the purpose of us being able to walk in greater freedom of our ability to live out this reality, to love more freely, to experience his love more freely. Any of our brokenness that we're holding on to tightly with with white knuckle fists that we don't want to give up, the only reason he wants to see us let loose of those things is not because because he's he's scared of of what's going to happen, because he wants wants us to walk in the freedom of knowing him and living out what he created us for with the beauty of being with him and with one another. And sadly, I've met so many Christians that are just miserable. I mean, and I'm sure many of you know them too. In fact, maybe some of you are one. I know I've been one many times in my life and it happens when I lose sight of what I was created for and I begin to focus on other things. And we can so easily lose sight of that reality. We can turn from this incredible gift of fellowship, of walking in the overwhelming love of knowing God and loving one another, and instead we can turn it so easily into a transaction, and we can instead try to appease a distant, blimp-like God who is out there that we feel we're never doing enough, or we're never good enough, or we'll never measure up to His goodness. So many Christians take this amazing relationship and they turn it into that transaction. And they turn it into just simply, am I saved or am I not saved? Do I got my ticket to heaven or not? And if I'm saved, then phew, I guess I can, I can go on with my life now. I know I'm good. I can go back to judging all the others who aren't, right? Or there's people that just take that and they say, I'm just so longing to, to, to try and to reach this God who loves me so much and I feel so unworthy and so a life is spent trying to earn that favor with God, climbing that ladder to get back into his presence because they don't feel good enough. But that is not what we were created for. Jesus created us to be with him, to enjoy the life that the Trinity shares within himself. Not just when we get to heaven, then and there, but here and now. He created us for this, to live out this reality. Jesus said in John 17 that to be one he want with, with them and to know the Father's love so we can share their life and share their love and share in that beautiful relationship. That is what he's created us for. God is love, people. 
And some of you just need to hear that again. God is love. It's who he is, and he created us to share that with us. And for us then to share that with one another. And honestly, this is the the, the message that changed my entire life. Not when I gave my life to Christ as a kid, but literally 10 years ago. Because about 10 years ago is is when I, I... the Lord totally radically changed my life. I mean, I had heard this message a thousand times. I had preached it as a Bible teacher for years. But somehow it took decades for this incredible reality to pierce from my head to my heart. The furthest 12 inches on the entire planet is from here to here, to get from the head to the heart, for just words that I had heard and mentally assented to, to something that I believed and understood. And it happened 10 years ago. I had just started a master's degree in spiritual formation, and I was in the very first course, the very first week, and in that time, they were just talking, we just started at 101, I mean, the basics, basically the summary of the message I just gave you. And then we sang a worship song, one I had sung countless times before about, you know, Jesus, uh, sorry, the only place I want to be is right here with you, Jesus. Something to that effect. And I had sung that song many times, but this time I just paused and I said, I don't actually believe anything I just said. Because I actually don't care about being with Jesus. Because you see, up to that point, my entire life as a missionary was spent serving God. I didn't actually care about being with him. I wanted to be a soldier for him. I wanted to do stuff for him, not be with him. That's what interests me. I'd spent my entire adult life, 14 years at that point of my adult life, from the age of 17, all I had done was traveling the globe, going anywhere I could, trying to go to the hardest places, the most difficult places, putting my life at risk countless times for the sake of the gospel, because all of my identity and value came from what I did for God. And I realized I didn't want to be a son. I only wanted to be a soldier. I didn't like that namby-pamby feeling it felt to me of like just sitting with God. I didn't want that. I didn't want to really care about his love. I just wanted to serve him and be a soldier. And that day, God broke me. And he helped me to realize my entire life, I had completely missed out on who he was. That Jesus is longing more than anything for was me for to share his life with me. And, and for all of eternity, for me to join in with fellowship with him and experience his love, and that that love is what would go forth into the world. And that he's not just called me to a life of service, but to a life drenched with his joy and his delight and his love with all creation. And that's been my greatest longing the last 10 years is, Lord, I want to live out this reality. I want to more and more live the life that you created me for, to experience your love and to share it with as many as I possibly can. And so I, I don't know where you're at this morning. I, I don't know who needs to hear this message again. Some of you may be miserable this morning, joyless. Or maybe it's not just this morning. It's just been your state of being for a while now. Or some of you may just feel unworthy and like you're trying to strive to appease this blimp-like God who's at a distance. Please hear the words this morning. His love for you is greater than you could ever comprehend. He loved you when you were a broken sinner. And he's not standing back with his arm crossed waiting for you to deal with that sin or or do the thing that you're supposed to do before he allows you to experience his love again. He's not withholding it, waiting for you to walk in full obedience. He met you when you were a broken sinner and his love for you today is no greater, no less than it could ever be regardless of what you do. There is nothing that either any of us can do that would ever cause God to love us any more or any less than he does right now. No matter what level of sin you are, whether you're rejecting him, 
whether you accepted him, there is nothing that we could do to ever cause him to love us any more than he does right now. His love for us is unconditional, and it is so good. And sometimes we just have to stop back from the midst of all our brokenness and just to stop back and say, thank you, Jesus, for the love that you've poured out upon me, even though I'm struggling to receive it because I view myself as worthless or broken or struggling. But I receive your love and I receive it in faith because I am struggling to actually take it. This all sounds like airy-fairy nonsense to me. It all sounds real for him, but I don't know that. And sometimes in faith we just say, Lord, I want to know this in a reality in my life. And for others of you, maybe you've walked away from the Lord and it's been a while. Or maybe you've never known it to begin with. And maybe for those that are here, or maybe you're watching online, you felt that nagging feeling in your life for quite some time, and you know that you've been trying to fill that part in your heart for a long time, trying to seek out that connection, that intimacy. You know that there's something more, that you felt that, and it's why you're actually listening right now. It's why you're here this morning again, even though you don't know why you're here, or it's why you're watching the sermon online, is because you know there's something nagging at your heart, that you know that even though you may have been wounded or hurt in the past, that you know there's something going, but I know there must be more. And I'm telling you, it's Jesus. And it's his love for us is so overwhelmingly good. And I recognize that sometimes the church has done a terrible job expressing that. And if you've been wounded by the church or wounded by other Christians, I am so, so incredibly sorry. The reality is that many, many Christians don't actually understand how good God is. They don't realize how deeply loved they are. And so when they go out into the world, they don't reflect his goodness to others. So many Christians see themselves far more like bouncers of some restricted nightclub trying to kick out anyone who doesn't measure up to their own expectations rather than people running to the streets to gather those who are hurting and broken. And I'm sorry if you've been wounded, but Jesus would say to you, his love for you is greater than you could ever comprehend. And if that's you, please today take the time to talk to someone or pray with someone and ask the Lord to share with you that incredible love that has been there from all creation, just waiting, storing it up to pour out upon you at this moment. If you don't want someone to come, come talk to me. I'd love to listen and talk with you and pray with you as well. Or some of us, we just need to be reminded today of what we were created for. Because we've gotten distracted, especially in the midst of this pandemic with restrictions and, and vaccines and mandates and masks and all the polarization, the politics. We've lost the plot. And we forgot what on earth we're here for. And we forgot why Jesus created us. And for those that are in that place that are stuck in the us's and the them's and, and what are they doing and what are I'm doing, please take time this morning to come back and, and reflect again on why God created us. And, and may we pray out with King David of Psalm, uh, chapter 51, verse 12, where he says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, Lord, and sustain me with a willing spirit. May reflect again on the incredible, overwhelming love of the Lord that he wants to be with us for all of eternity and for us to love him the way that he loved us and love others the way that he's loved us. Because that is how we reach the world. That's how we reach out. As he says in John 17 and verse 20 and 21, what we looked at before, he says this. He says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. Why does he want us to experience such perfect unity? Why does he want us to love so well and experience as well? The answer's right there. So that the world will believe that you sent me. 
It is when we live out the purpose of our creation, when we experience His love and we pour it into all those around us and we begin to walk in the ways that He's called us to live, that, He says, Jesus says, that is the ultimate way in which people come to know Him, when they see His love expressed through us. God is so good. So, so good. Amen? Oh, let us pray. Father, Oh, I know it's just a basic message, just saying that you love us. Oh, Lord, but it is so, so profound. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would break through to to each of our hearts wherever we're at, Lord, and, and affirm to each person here and listening online, Lord, how much you love them, Jesus. How from before creation, you longed for us to be with you, Jesus. That you took the life and the beauty of your fellowship among yourselves and you shared it with us, Lord, because you want for us to be with you. Lord, break us out of our fogs. Break us out of the lies that we believed and the, the past hurts that prevented us from seeing the truth, Lord Jesus. Break us free of those things. And Jesus, speak clearly to those this morning who are hurting. Oh, Lord, may your spirit speak right to the hearts of those that you've been whispering to and drawing them back in your presence. Lord, speak clearly this morning, Father, and draw us deeper into the wonder of the beauty of your love. Oh, Jesus, wrap your arms around us this morning, Father. Draw us deeper into fellowship with you and help us to love one another the way that you created us to do, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now this week also, there's something that a little different. That we're starting this, this uh, fall series and we're going to be doing discussion questions kind of going forward for small groups, but also just for families. And so if you go on the website, is it up there, Margaret? I don't know if it's up there or not, but there will be a place right in the center of the page that says discussion questions. Right there, if you see sermon discussion questions, main page, click there. and There will be a bunch of questions to be able to use it in small groups or with families to be able to process deeper into the sermon specifically to the message it is. Thank you so much for joining us today. Grab some donuts, take a jump on the bounce bouncy house that's out there, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Amen.